It's time to wake up to Tequila Sunrise. Greg White here, and I have spent my career starting, leading, deploying, and investing in supply chain tech. So we take a shot and talk founders, execs, investors, and companies in this hot industry. If you want a taste of how tech startup growth and investment is done, join me for another blinding Tequila Sunrise. All right, let's bring in our guest, Gregor Purdy, strategic advisor, executive coach, chief technologist, good friend, and tequila connoisseur, Gregor. Gregor, welcome. (laughs) Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. Well, let me tell people a little bit about you, too. Sure. Uh, Maybe they'll like you still after I tell you everything that I know about you, but uh, Mm -hmm. um, look, you have a pretty strong provenance, which is provenance is one of my favorite words, but technology leader at Apple, Amazon, a number of companies. You've built teams, you've led teams, you've led big projects. Today, you're a mentor, an executive coach, a fractional CTO, right? And I think you really thrive at, look, we've worked together before, full disclosure to the community. Yeah. So I, I think you work really well together at the at the confluence of of technology and business strategy, of people and culture. And it's just a really rare mix that you know I've really enjoyed. I am a little bit freewheeling. You're a lot more uh, organized and and diligent. And I think that I don't know. I hope you feel the same. I think that really worked for us when we were working together. Thank you for all those kind of words. Well, I mean, you're constantly curious, you're constantly evolving, you develop systems and strategies and workshops and tool sets that I think so many people can benefit from. And we'll talk a little bit about that. But anyway, I'm glad you're here. Yeah, so, I'm excited to I'm excited to have the conversation with you. And you know, I'm always interested in things you're up into as well, you know, across the supply chain, but so many other things also, right? So so every time we talk. Uh, whether it's for actual business reasons or just for fun, I come away having had a great time. And so I'm looking forward to just talking about a few things right today. Yeah. Cool, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, it's great. I mean, always great having you here. And of course, we don't just do this here. So we, you know, we talk aside from this, we've got ideas. We're always sort of plotting, right? And yeah. and it's been a great, great lot of fun getting to work with you and getting to know you. This all started with radial, right? It started. Yeah, we were. were you, was, was it a- still eBay? Enterprise? No, so, um, radio came out of eBay, right? So eBay Enterprise had some e-commerce platform tech in it from way back in the day when they wanted to get in that business. And that included, you know, the web store front end bits and it included uh, all the operational bits, you know, actual physical warehouses and right. you know, customer service centers, multiple of them, mostly domestic, a little international. And so, you know, like this interesting combo of all the ops heavy, but tech enabled stuff. In addition to some straight tech stuff like payments, tax, and fraud, and then the web store bit as well. And I forget how many years ago it was now, but you know they spun out the web store part of that, and that's right. now called Magento, right? Okay. But, you know, this, fast forward a couple of years, they still had the rest of it. And of course, that's a you know if you're not wanting to be in that business, that's a that's a tough load to carry. Yeah. Right. So they ended up selling that out to Sterling, and I think it was Sterling brought together one or two other partners as well, and. They already had kind of in that portfolio, another logistics 3PL company that they bolted together with this former eBay enterprise piece other than the web store. And uh, they called it radial, right? And I joined right after they had kind of made the decision to become this this company called radial. That's right. 
you and Stefan and I can't remember who all we met there first, but. Yeah, you might have met a few of the other folks, but Stefan was sort of chief instigator of the stuff I was involved in. Right. You know, I met him through my co-founder at Pro.com, Matt Williams. Uh, so when I was kind of negotiating, moving on to other things from, from there, you know, after I talked to the board and to Matt and everything like that, you know, Matt said, hey, why don't you talk to Stefan? You know, he's this amazing product and strategy and marketing genius, but what he really needs is a technology guy. Yeah. And so I, I kind of met up for coffee with Stefan. And uh, we hit it off right away. You know, I was looking for a guy who was the great product and marketing guy to go partner with to do stuff. And he was looking for for technology strategy stuff. So I ended up joining as the VP of technology for advanced solutions, which is a little bit highfalutin, but really the the role was around, okay, so we're going to have this this new company. I mean, it's an old company, but a new company with, you know, and we want to go after some new stuff, not just operate what we already have. Right. Right. And so some work had been done before I got there with a, a major sort of strategic consulting group to go figure out, you know, what were the opportunities ahead of them that they might go after. And as is typically the case, it was a combination of, you know, deep stuff they had done before, right? About like, what's the market and what's the possibilities? What's the space and stuff that, you know, I don't want to poo-poo it, but, you know, because it actually takes real work to produce that stuff, right? Right. And there is real value in it because, you know, they're figuring out like what's going on in the marketplace and things like that, but it's really hard to digest, right? Yeah. Um, you yeah, know, so distill down to something, right? Something to do, right? Yeah. It's not so. It's just these 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 massive like spreadsheets and financial models, massive you know PowerPoint presentations and slide decks, and it's just you know it's a lot. And you know, having lived through it, you know, I affectionately let's say call it a strategy bomb, right? And so you know, they had received a strategy bomb, right? Uh, and they paid a lot of money for it. And the question now was, now what? And the sort of now what question is where I spend a lot of my time in kind of everything I do, right? Now what or and then what kind of questions. Mm-hmm. And so I was brought in because Stefan had, had convinced them that what we were going to do is we were going to create a new business unit to go after some of these things. And in the end, we didn't create that separate business unit. We, we just you know worked through, and I say we, me combined with kind of leadership throughout the different departments within the company, Right. Um, my job was to basically go through all of that and figure out what would it mean for radial to actually go after some of these things? What would we actually do if we were to go after that? How would it fit on our existing roadmap? Would it conflict with our existing roadmap? Are we even equipped to go after it? Do we even know what it means? Right. So basically taking all of those sort of key things and figuring out what would it actually mean to go after them? And are we up for it? and try to figure out what's the smartest, you know, you, you can't really chase 10 things at a time, you know, so if we're going to chase something, what is it and in what order and how? And so that was my primary role. But in the, in the midst of that, one of those had to do with kind of inventory optimization stuff. And that was how I met you actually and the Blue Ridge folks at the time Right. was because it, I think it was through one of the Sterling guys either knew you or knew Blue Ridge or, you know, somehow. And so I flew down to Atlanta and met up with you and the team actually a couple of times, if I remember right. Yeah. Um, well, and we went after a couple of accounts, right? Yeah, we did. We actually were getting, you know, some definite interest. It was hard to get to closure. Right. Uh, you know, it, so Radio hadn't launched a new product line in a decade, right? They, they did not have the muscle memory of, and here's how you launch and, you know, go for the close on something you don't already know. Right. And so there's a lot of kind of internal struggle 
around, you know, how do we structure the sales process and how do we, how do we make sure people are compensated? Like, like really mundane stuff actually in a lot of ways. Right. But it's, that's kind of the making sausage part of launching a a new product, right. Yeah. uh, You know, I'm fond of, you know, talking about, you know, innovation, right. People, everybody loves to talk about innovation, but it's really a combination of two things, invention and adoption. And, you know, we sort of had the invention part because we invented a relationship with Blue Ridge, right? You guys had some amazing tech. We had, you know, great presence in a different market space than you were already in. It was a marriage made in heaven in a lot of ways, right? But you haven't innovated until there's adoption. And that's really almost always the hardest part because there's so many human factors involved in it. Do you ever look back at that and wonder, I mean, think about that. We, I mean, we probably shouldn't name the brands, but we were going after some major brands. Oh, major, yeah. yeah, luxury direct, brands in particular, right? Yeah. Right. Direct to consumer yep. um, e-commerce, right? I mean, imagine if we had been able to get that adoption, get that buy-in at those companies. And, and it was a slog. I recall some, some dark days in, in New York trying mm-hmm. to get some of these companies over the line. And if they had been that well-positioned when COVID hit, just imagine where they could be now. And now it's such an incredible imperative for companies. So could we say safely we were ahead of our time? (laughs) Well, you know, I don't think being ahead of one's time is necessarily a compliment, but okay. I was going to say it's not always a good thing, right? (laughs) Yeah. I've been ahead of my time on so many things actually. And (laughs) you tend not to make too much money when you're ahead of your time by too far. That's a really good point. That is a really good point. Well, so so that was fantastic because that was that was one of the meetings of the physical logistics world, radial, which was largely physical logistics. It was order fulfillment. It was as you you and your team always said, everything that happens after the click. Yeah, yeah. Right. It was the routing the order. It was the fulfilling the order. It was even down to the detail, as I recall, of writing the little handwritten notes that that were the keynote of a particular brand or putting the bow on if if to be done manual, doing so manually, and then fulfilling the order. A little something and, we like to call VAS, value-added services, right? There you we, go. Value-added means we're going to charge you for them. But yeah. <laughs> That's right. And then you merge that with the digital. So, you know, we help to enable that more effectively. The right product in the right place at the right time. That's the old cliche. But and it, it was much more than that. But I think that it was a great it was a great experience. I mean, we didn't get nearly as far along as we wanted to, but it was a great experience. But one of the things that you just said made me think about your past at Amazon, and that is you have to do the do. thing, yeah. right? You can, build, you can build processes, you can build documents and plans and even principles, but you don't, as you love to say, do principles. So tell me a little bit about your work at Amazon, what it was like in the early days, and what did you what what did you really take away from from that experience? Sure. So I was at Amazon from 2003 to 2005. So in today's terms, that's kind of early days. But at the time, it didn't feel like early days because there was a lot of people that been there a lot longer, right? Yeah. I remember being a customer of Amazon. I, I hesitate to say what year that was. I think it was still <laughs> more than two decades ago. <laughs> I think it was still the 90s, late 90s. Yeah, but you know, early on, actually, I was one of one of their customers, and I remember the old ugly website with just you know a lot of blue text on it and not a lot more. Right, and the Amazon logo that they used to have back then with the river. So it was an interesting place to be because you know Amazon, 
you know, especially back then and less so now, right? But back then, you know, the market thought of them as a retailer and valued them as a retailer in terms of stock price and all that kind of stuff. Right. Didn't understand what they were doing in terms of how they managed um, debt, like they were taking out notes and things instead of raising equity. And they were doing all kinds of things that nobody understood. And the group that I was in, interestingly, though, you know, was, you know, it wasn't, you know, a group that owned a core system of its own, right? It was a group in we called the Enterprise Commerce Services or Large Account Services, it was called at one point. Uh-huh. Um, and the idea was, you know, Amazon had actually already at that time, a couple of what you would call enterprise scale customers. Toys R Us was one. Uh, Target was one. Gosh, I forgot about that. And yeah, you know, there was others kind of in the mix that they were pursuing, right? There's actually, I was involved in the launch of the NBA store on the Amazon platform. We had got that business from someone else and we didn't have a solution for how Jersey customization was going to work. And I had to invent one. So <laughs> very cool. Yeah. So, but at the time, useful uh, and practical knowledge, that kind of stuff, right? I mean, yeah. really. Yeah. And, you know, cause it was done previously with flash and, just crazy stuff. And Amazon was basically allergic to flash for one thing. They didn't have anything flash related in the platform. And, you know, the previous provider wasn't going to give us all the magic of how to make it work. This old flash thing, right? You weren't going to get that. We needed a different non-flash answer. And I created one. Gosh, I wonder if, I wonder how many of our listeners even remember flash, right? (laughs) Yeah, it's so deprecated now. So anyway, so that was kind of the time frame, right? And, and, you know, one of the things you need to know for context before we talk about it, we'll talk mostly probably about Target because Toys R Us at the time was in a, kind of a special state we like to call litigation. But Target is maybe the most interesting of, of the, the things that were under my wing at the time. So Target, if you rewind before I got there, you know, imagine your Amazon in earlier days, right? You've got all this stuff, you're selling all this stuff online, you're starting to branch out to categories beyond books, you're doing all these things, and someone gets the idea that you're going to have enterprise customers now, and you manage to land your first one. Mm-hmm. Anyone who's ever been through that knows there's multiple ways to achieve it, the implementation. Uh, one of the common ways to achieve it is to essentially copy and paste your infrastructure and edit it until it's the new instance. And I say it that way, not to actually throw shade on it, because, you know, you could say it's wrong, but it's not necessarily wrong if you win with it, right? Right. But but it's not cost-free either, right? And I think that's the difference when you talk about engineering versus sort of just doing stuff, right? Engineering is there are trade-offs and you don't make them blindly, you actually make them knowing. And so if you're doing this as an engineering exercise, you figure out, well, you know, we could spend five years making a shiny new thing, and then take the new customer and start taking their money, or we can start taking their money now. Right. And Um, we all know where that's going to lead. Yeah. So which option gets selected? It gets selected by the CEO, right? Yep. But, you know, if we just, or if we're doing it eyes open, we can get mad later, like, hey, you know, we created our own problems. Well, yes, we did. And we kind of did on purpose. And it was one of those kind of scenarios, right? So interestingly, in this timeframe, a little before then, actually, Bezos famously, infamously, maybe, uh, you know, made his edict like you will do what's now known as services oriented architecture and small teams with, that run independently and all that kind of stuff. You will do things that way or you will leave. Hmm. And that was famous slash infamous. I think famous now, right? Because it's worked yeah, pretty well. Because it worked. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But again, it was a radical thing to just pronounce, right? We're, we're doing that right? We're changing everything about how we do it. 
And the thing is, they were winning, right? It was working, right? They were able to move faster at adding things to the Amazon platform by essentially building a new platform from the ground up the new way, right? With these small isolated teams that had more uh, free reign. However, that creates a natural problem, right? So Target was on the old platform Mm -hmm. and the new platform gets to move faster and make innovations faster. And the customers over there looking, Target is over there looking like, well, we want some of that stuff too. In fact, not only is Target the customer and the humans saying that the contract says it, the contract says thou shalt, you know, give us all the new features. That's why we're on your platform. Otherwise, why are we on your platform? Most favored nation status or whatever, right? Right. So they were obligated to launch all these cool features on the old platform that was too slow to create them on. So that was never going to work, right? Yeah. And so what ended up happening is um, they did end up negotiating with Target that, hey, we're going to put you on the new platform, you know, and that Target is like, okay, we're gonna, you're going to get the features now, right? But yeah. that's a big project that's potentially going to slow down any other sort of fixes and stuff that they want in the meantime, right? Because all efforts going to go towards cutting them over. And I ended up being the person with the happy task of making it work. Right. So completely relaunching target.com on the new Amazon platform. And I say completely, some of the, the long tail didn't actually happen until a few years later when the person that I tasked with some things long after I had left the company sent me an email. I'm proud to report that after this many years, months, and days, this thing you told me to shut off is now off. Right. So, uh, that happened. After you've moved on to <laughs> like years later. Right. Um, so there, you awesome. know, the long tail is real. It's real. Yeah. So anyway, you know, that was a big, big, big project. And so that was my experience at Amazon. It's different than maybe some other people's, right? Because I didn't own my thing. And, you know, uh, but I saw how those principles played out because I had to go work with all those people and convince them to do what I needed them to do so that I could launch Target. So you're, you're a big proponent. I mean, you know, for everything that Amazon is famous and infamous. Deservedly so in many cases, yeah. Yeah, you're a big fan and, and proponent of their business principles, right? So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, there's, there's 14 principles and, you know, there's a couple things that, you know, there's maybe some magic hiding in there. And you know, a lot of times when I talk about these or I give, I give a presentation about them, I, I, I work hard to kind of make the point that for the most part, these things are not, they're not Amazon specific in a lot of ways. And I'll quote a couple of them to kind of give you a feel for that in a second. But yeah. the, the specific set of 14, the way they've kind of divvied up the space and, you know, maybe ignored a few things or rolled a few things up different, like that's specific to Amazon. But there are some timeless ideas in here that are not yeah. specific to Amazon. And for most people that have worked anywhere, maybe a big company like you know Google or Microsoft or you know smaller companies that are innovative and just really you know making things happen, they'll recognize some of these. And I'll quote a couple of them just to give you an idea, right? So you know one of these fourteen principles is think big. Okay, well a lot of people have some kind of principle that gets at think big. Right. Right. And they have one, you know, bias for action, which is actually one of my favorite ones. And again, a lot of people will have some kind of principle that that they espouse, follow or manage to about bias for action. But I I think can I I'm sorry, I just I just have to interject here. And that is that their bias for action and then one of their other other principles is be right a lot. A lot. Oh, yeah. Right. 
So yeah. I think what's interesting is how fail early, fail fast yeah. has has become really popular. And I, I don't argue that principally as a principle, mm -hmm. but I think application wise, it has become an excuse mm -hmm. for not doing the diligence that allows you to be right yeah. a lot, right? And just doing things, maybe, uh, I don't, I can't capture the term right, willy nilly. Yeah. Right? I, we, you've got to make sure, in my opinion, you have to make sure that that, that it is okay to fail. It is not okay to be a failure. Yep. And it, you have to still avoid, try to avoid failure as much as you can while taking a reasonable calculated risk. Yeah, and there's a couple of fun bits to that, right? So, you know, one of them, one of the, the, the people that, uh, you know, I worked with back in the day, uh, I really like, you know, this idea that he would say, of, you know, fail in new and interesting ways, right? <laughs> I've heard you say that before. <laughs> right? Um, and yeah. uh, I mean, that's fun. And I mean, yeah, we... Sure, but again, a season to taste, right? So yeah. there's natural tensions built into these sets of principles, as you would sort of expect, I think, right? So they're in tension sometimes. Yeah, I was going to say some um, of them are intentional, those tensions, yeah. correct? Yeah, yeah. and uh, that's actually part of the magic because the, the point behind a set of principles and, and things like that is, you know, isn't to disengage your mind. In fact, in sort of when I teach these things, um, you know, deliver results, right? So deliver results is a big one. And, you know, one of my friends that kind of applies it advisory trade uh, as an ex-Amazonian, super amazing guy, John Rossman, actually, uh, is one of my friends. And yeah. he talks all the time about, you know, how deliver results is number one. And he's right. He's right. Deliver results is kind of number one. It sort of trumps all other things at some level, right? Mm -hmm. If what you're doing is preventing you from delivering results, probably you need to think that through again, right? So he's kind of right. Although I would argue, uh, and sort of when I talk about this myself, I don't, I don't list it first, despite it being number one, because I treat hire and develop the best as number zero, right? So yes, uh, it's the most important thing you do, right? And you know, even being those being number one and number two, or number zero and number one, that doesn't mean number zero and number one always wins, because that you can't do that either, right? Right. So for all these things, you have to keep your brain engaged. You can't just cargo cult your way through this stuff. Right. Oh, there's 14 principles. I'm just going to adopt them. They're already written. Let's just put them on the wall. Now we're done. It's problem solved. Right. No. Right. Um, and in fact, the no cargo culting idea is actually in my framework for I call it the stronger companies framework, where I've gone down below the Amazon principles to things you can do based on my own experience at Amazon and kind of looking at some of the things that my friends write about and things like that, I kind of synthesized, you know, this big body of, you know, you know, okay, so you want to go after one of these principles, what does that look like? Well, here's some things you can do or see if you are doing, or if you are doing them effectively and sort of structured as maturity models. And so that's really important, right? Is, you know, it's, it's not just, you know, here's 14 and they're in some order, go. Right. But it's also not 14 and choose one or two and ignore the rest. Go. Right. And in, in no scenario is it like that. Right. Although you have to consider the tension and the collaboration between each of those. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's right. And ignore would, your peril. Sort of. Yeah. And I think that, you know, there's there's some good news hiding, however. Right. So. You know, part of what I do sometimes is I do diagnostics with people on their company. Hey, you have this symptom. Do you have that symptom? And I use that to help me figure out like where, where we should focus. 
Yeah, but we piloted your stronger companies you framework at Curo, right? You did. You it did. It was actually. brilliant. It really is brilliant. I mean, I think one of your principles, and I know we're going to, I want us to get to this. I really want us to get to this. But one of your principles is it's 14 principles. You can't apply them all at once. And That's some right. of them may not be applicable for you in your business at that time. And That's right. This framework that you provided us was so valuable because it allowed us to go, we're ready for that one. We're not yeah. ready this one. Right? Yeah. And it changes over time, right? It changes with yeah. what's going on around you. And that's important. And that's why I say sort of no cargo culting or no simple answer, right? But again, there is some good news hiding, right? And, you know, there's some work that I have done kind of analyzing this body of, you know, certain between two and 300 individual practices that you might go after. I did some analysis around, you know, what principles each of them support and how that would net out to, you know, would that teach you anything ultimately about, you know, where to focus? Mm-hmm. And it turns out there is kind of, you can, there's a couple of different ways to think about it, but for the, since, you know, we're doing just, just talking, right? So you could think about it as, you know, what is the center of mass, right? Of these principles and the things you might go after and do. Because again, we've talked about, and we're dancing around it a little bit, but you can't do a principle where you have to do practices, I call them, right? right? You know, what is the center of mass or what is, if you don't know any better, where should you start? It's sort of that idea, right? And you've got a clue that comes at you from this idea of, I say, hire and develop the best is kind of number one or zero, right? You know, my friend talks about how deliver results is number one and he's right, right? It turns out there's kind of this cluster at the center. They're all important in different ways, right? But if you look at hire and develop the best, invent and simplify, deliver results, and customer obsession, not focus, obsession, right? right. If you didn't know any better where to start and you started there, if you were good at what you did, if you chose the right things to do, you'd actually be pretty well off, right? Yeah, because- Really solid core, right? That's right. And a lot of the things that you would be doing- while you were doing that would be tendrils out that are sort of building up strengths in your organization that would help you get to bias for action or get to think big or get to learn and be curious or earn trust and all these other ones, right? So you could kind of get there in fewer steps if you built your core strength. It's like when you're doing physical training, you want to you know, get your core strong and you've, with a strong core, you've got a good starting point to go after a bunch of other stuff. And so you can actually cheat a little, you can, and shortcut it a little. Sure. The details are still, you know, what to actually do based on that or how to decide whether you're doing the right things or if you're doing well and those sorts of things. But, you know, if you started with that core set of four before you knew any better, you'd actually, in many cases, still be pretty, pretty much better off. So when you take on a fractional role like you did with us at Curo or many other places you do, or you do executive coaching or something like that, do you bring this framework along with you? Yeah. So sometimes it's used implicitly and sometimes explicitly. It kind of depends a little on what we're doing and, and how interested actually the, the client is in that. Some people like having a really like structured way, like with the diagnostic survey I did with you and things like that, you know, yep. that helps people kind of get from point A to point B in their mind. You yep. know, other people you know, they want to kind of just dive right in and, and block and tackle and troubleshoot on stuff. And in, in those cases, a lot of times what I'm doing is applying these principles behind the scenes, either explicitly or just implicitly, because that's my background. Right. And using it to kind of navigate them 
And, you know, I usually end blocking up, and tackling yeah, through the blocking and tackling, right. You know, how do you choose your target and, you know, how do we, how do we go after the target enough? Like, you know, you don't, don't stop going after that target too early kind of thing. Right. So you so do you, it seems like you had worked up kind of a framework here and maybe had even offered it. I don't know in mass, but do you offer this as a kind of a framework in a box for people or how, how do you get the word out? Because I can tell you that it was incredibly valuable for us. I mean, we only got to use it for about a year and a half. Right. Mm -hmm. But, and then we were effectively sold. So, but I mean, do you offer this to companies to self-execute? It seems like that would be really hard, but. Yeah, I don't because, you know, uh, another principle like, so, you know, control the customer experience. Yeah. Right. Right. So um, I could not control the customer experience well if I did that. Yeah. So typically what ends up happening is somebody's interested in using me in one of these ways as an executive coach or as a, a mentor for, uh, you know, a new person newly in a leadership role or around a board or, you know, as an advisor, strategic or otherwise. They're already interested in me because of my background at Apple, Amazon startups and all these other things that I've done. Right. And the, the framework ends up being just uh, the method of delivery. I've toyed with the idea of putting, you know, kind of the, one of the surveys up as like a, a, a lead in thing, you know, let people try it out. And then, you know, on some online app or something and, and, and get some feedback. But, you know, I found that, you know, it's, it's not quite so automatable because so much of it is bound up in navigating and I've built tools to try to help teach people to self-navigate, but it still ends up being a lot of very situational stuff that comes well, up. It's my ability to ask kind of penetrating follow-up questions that helps me to do the navigational part. So your advice on that is to get, get help somewhere. If you want to apply these principles, right? It's sort yeah. of hospitals. If you can't get help with Gregor, yeah. Get help somewhere. Help Don't somewhere. try to, right. Do not try this at home. Yeah. I do have one tool that I've created that is kind of intended as something that once you learn it, you can self-apply it. So it's smaller than kind of this larger, I call it the stronger companies framework, right? This yeah. is smaller than that. But even that one, I don't sell it as like a retail product. What I do is I do a workshop, which is pretty easy to get into, right? So if you got 10 or more people, you can get into a workshop. These days, of course, we deliver it virtually. But every participant in the workshop gets their own, I call it the superpower pack. And it's a deck of cards that we do a very structured set of exercises with that help people find and develop their leadership superpowers to deliver positive results. Yeah. Right? And so it's, and, and interestingly, that one, the Amazon principles are linked in it. Like I, I've taken the time to sort of show where they show up in the content, but all of the content is not in the language of the Amazon leadership principles. It's the lessons that I have learned through all these years of doing this captured into uh, a product and a, and a workshop that goes around it and a process that you can use to essentially, you can use it to self-evaluate if you're just a solo person. You can use it, you know, if you're, nobody needs to know you're using it. So people use it sometimes to, if they're doing reviews for their team, their team might not know they're using it, but you could use it to get your thoughts together about, you know, who's doing what well and what not well. Uh, you can use it to set yourself up if you've got a coaching conversation coming up with somebody you work with, either as a mentee or an employee. You can use it again to sort of pull out of yourself the important parts, because if you're going to have a, a coaching conversation with somebody, one of the most important things 
is to be genuine and, and to give valuable insight. But another one is don't give them eight things to follow up on. Cause again, you can't follow up on eight things. You want to give them one or two and not at random. You want to give them the one or the two. And how do you get there? Well, you can get there on your own, but you can use a tool like superpower pack to help you get there with more assurance and that you've kind of covered the space because it's designed to prompt you to think about the, the, the whole space and then to narrow using Amazon principles for how it's structured. It's, you know, it's using things like stack ranking, which is an Amazon practice. It's not a principle. It's a practice, right? You know, no ties, put them in order, go right. Stack ranking is super, super powerful for decision-making and the stack ranking is built into the way the superpower pack works at a couple of different levels to force you to have those hard conversations with yourself. Or if there's a partner you're working with, have those hard conversations about what's really most important, this or that. So I don't even know this and we talk all the time and I don't even know this. Are you looking for additional comp- companies to work for that want this kind of thing? I mean, if someone was interested, if they were watching this and they were interested, I mean, we, I suppose yeah. we should have them at, reach out to you, right? Yeah. So I'm easy to find on LinkedIn and that's the, easy, the best way to get me. I get a lot of inbounds from there on various things and we can take it quickly to like a call, a Zoom call, phone call or to email or whatever uh, for somebody that's interested. But a lot of times what I do is, you know, I'll take an inbound from LinkedIn, I set up a call. And then yeah. just get to know, like, who, who are you, what are you working on, and, and just get that first sort of conversation going. And usually what happens is out of that, it's clear, right? You know, do they need something more like superpower pack where they can get a little bit of input in a workshop type format, and then they can run with it. I have one customer that adopted wholesale in their company. Everybody got a superpower pack, wow. and they used it to structure They use the language of the superpower pack to rewrite all their job specs and leveling guides so that the people who were being reviewed could know I'm at this level. Here's what it takes to get to the next level. And here's a tool to help you self-evaluate in between. And we're going to use these, this language when we give you feedback. So you can be very intentional about, you know where you're at, you know why, and you know what to do, what to get better at in order to proceed and nothing's and lost in translation. That is, that sounds so powerful. So Everyone is literally speaking the same language, yeah. right? So even if you have your own language, which I, you know, many people do a lot of the ideas in superpower pack or the, the stronger companies framework, a lot of those ideas, you could, you know, translate them, right. You could use a different word if you want, if you like have a different favorite way of talking about it, or, you know, if you're allergic to some particular practice because of some history at the company, you can you know, reinterpret that practice in a way that makes sense for your company, right. It's not, you're not, it's not trying to turn you into a robot, yeah. right. It's trying to get you onto tracks that will be productive. Tequila Sunrise is part of the Supply Chain Now Network, the voice of supply chain featuring the people, technologies, best practices, and key issues in the industry. And hey, listen up. To build your supply chain knowledge, listen to, get this, Supply Chain is Boring, where Chris Barnes connects you to the who's who that got supply chain where we are, point us to where we're going, and take us to the next level. Or check out This Week in Business History with Supply Chain Now's own Scott Luton to learn more about everyday things you may take for granted and pick up quick insights you can use as inspiration and conversation starters. 
Our Logistics with Purpose series puts a spotlight on inspiring and successful organizations that give first, give forward as their business model. If you're interested in transportation, freight, and logistics, have a listen to the Logistics and Beyond series with the Adapt and Thrive Mindset Sherpa, Jamin Alvidrez, and also check out Tech Talk, hosted by industry vet and Atlanta's own Corinne Bursa, supply chain pro to know of 2020 where Corinne discusses the people, processes, and technology of digital supply chain. For sponsorship information on Tequila Sunrise or any Supply Chain Now show, DM me on Twitter or Instagram at Gregory S. White or email me at greg at supplychainnow.com. Thanks again for spending your time with me. And remember, acknowledge reality, but never be bound by it.